Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank. Banking with greater momentum. At B1Bank.com. Sewers on the Boulevard, we're out to lunch with Stephanie Regal. Stephanie Regal is a broadcaster and editor of Baton Rouge Business Report. It's business Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. In a state that claims as its motto, laissez-les bon temps rouler, it's not surprising that what today are euphemistically called adult beverages factor prominently in the local culture. What is surprising is the growing numbers of distilleries and breweries based in South Louisiana, including right here in Baton Rouge, and they're emerging on the local scene and making a name for themselves. Ricky Hull is one such distiller. He is the owner of Baton Rouge Distilling, a distillery that opened in April of 2016 and has begun producing a line of fruit brandies with plans on the way for a flagship bourbon and a rye whiskey. Ricky didn't set out to be a craft distiller. He's actually an electrical engineer by training, but a couple of years ago, he and his wife, Natasha Krizaj, realized after sampling craft whiskeys while traveling that they had the know-how to get into the business. A distillery, after all, as Ricky will tell you, is really just a small-scale refinery where molecules are manipulated until they morph into something new. Sounds simple, right? Well, Ricky, we look forward to having you tell us all about it. Thank Welcome you. to Out to Lunch. Joseph Piku is a craft brewer who, with his partner, Wes Hedges, owns Southern Craft Brewing Company. Joseph and Wes got into brewing long before they thought about turning it into a business. They, too, were engineers by day and home brewers by night who realized they had potential when they entered a national home brewers competition and came in second place out of 7,000 brewers with their Red Stick Rye. Today, they have a brewery here in Baton Rouge that produces four craft beers sourced with local ingredients, and their brews are served in restaurants and bars throughout the capital region. And they also recently opened a tasting room, right? That's correct. Awesome. Joseph, congratulations and welcome to Out to Lunch. Thanks for having us. Well, Ricky, I want to start with you. It's been about a year since you got started. Was it as easy as you thought it would be? No, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Tell us. I mean, the, the permitting process is pretty intense, as Joe well knows. And, uh, you know, production's always... Your equipment, you got to learn the equipment, get it all straight, sourcing ingredients, and then distribution's always a challenge, and then just getting the word out there. It's it's definitely a challenge, but, you know, it was something we were up to. So where is your distillery? So my distillery is located on Industrioplex, mm -hmm. right in the middle. And you all actually do it all right there? Yes, we okay. uh, distill and bottle right there. And you are distilling fruit brandies. Why did you start with that? So I didn't plan on starting with uh, the fruit brandies. I did hook up with Henry Amato that owns Amato Winery mm -hmm. up in Independence, north sure. of Hammond. And he produced some strawberry wine from local Louisiana strawberries. Right. Got a sample from him and tried a distillation of it. Came out really good. So I um, towed a trailer over there and brought back 250 gallons of wine and turned it into the, our first product. So, so you start with wine. Brandy itself is just based on wine. you got to have water, you know, the, uh, the fruit juice, and yeast. And then mm -hmm. yeah, that's 
you distill that and that's going to produce brandy. There's no other additives to it. Okay. Okay. So when you barrel age it, that's when it turns brown. But ours is not barrel age, is why it's clear. So you have a clear fruit brandy. It's not. Correct. Why not yeah. barrel age? It's not barrel age. Not this one. Gotcha. Okay. So how is it being received, and and where is it being served? So it's um, for something as strange as it is here in the United States, it's definitely been received very well. I think um, we're in just a few local craft stores, and we're uh, just getting into Whole Foods actually. So that's exciting. And we're um, on serve. We're served at uh, Oliver Twist on the menu as sure. hashtag GoBR. Okay. One of his featured cocktails. How how much are y'all producing right now? So our first batch produced 30 cases, which there's 12 bottles in a case, so 360 half bottles, 375 milliliter. That's our first production cycle that we just sold out of. Congratulations. And then we have another production cycle that we just finished that we're about to bottle. And and so sort of without giving away your proprietary secrets, what's sort of the process? So it's not a very complicated process. I mean, we take the wine and then we... You're taking the, starting with the strawberry, strawberry wine, wine, okay. And then we distill it. And then part of the craft part is uh, deciding when to cut the distillation because the different alcohols evaporate at different temperatures. So it's, you know, in the batch process, you got to decide, you know, the pieces you're going to keep and the pieces you're going to dispose of. Okay. And then, you know, we just decide that, combine it, and then slowly proof it, and then bottle it. Is it much more difficult on a, on a large or at least a commercial scale than it was in the kitchen at home with Natasha? Well, you can't do that legally, actually. <laughs> All we could do legally is brew beer. And the second you um, try to distill it, it's illegal. Well, nobody has to know. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you practice somewhere. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> it is definitely big. It's different on the bigger scale, for sure. It is, okay. I mean, Joe can attest to that, too, from homebrew when you step up. Well, Joe, you started as a home brewer, and uh, what, the frustrated engineer thing gave way to a brewery? How did this come about? Yeah, no, it was just, I, I've always had, I guess, an entrepreneurial spirit, you know, getting my MBA at LSU. I always kind of wanted to do something yeah, Joe uh, and I both have an MBA. <laughs> That's right. That is so funny. And so I always, I kind of always thought it was, it would be engineering, uh, would be, would be what I would do, but... Uh, but after homebrewing, started homebrewing in 2006, uh, and seeing the, uh, the, I guess, the lack of breweries here in, in Louisiana, and seeing some of the boom throughout other parts of the United States, uh, really kind of planted the seed in my head that, you know, hey, this would be a good opportunity, a good entrepreneurial opportunity to open up a brewery here in Louisiana. So that's really kind of how, how the idea started and transitioned from engineering into, into brewing. Um, naturally, my engineering background, you know, really plays well into brewing. I always say that, you know, home brewing is probably the, the best engineer's hobby uh, because it's a small little plant that you have at your house that you get to get to control and, and make something with. No, I mean, that is absolutely true. Yep. And, and you have to be so precise, and, and the science is really a big part of it. That's right. That's right. It, you got to be careful with it. You got to understand the science behind it to, to really make, uh, make good beer. I mean, anybody can make beer, uh, but you really need to know the science behind it to be able to make good beer. So you and your partner were having some early success with this. You're feeling good about it. You decide to open the brewery, and then all of a sudden you scale up. How much are y'all producing now? Uh, so, so from brewing at home, we, you know, home brewing, we were doing about five gallons to 10 gallon batches at home. 
the, the commercial brewery that we have now is a 15 barrel brew house, which is about 465 gallons. So significant scale up. Uh, you really have to have an understanding of your equipment, um, the specifications of your equipment, the efficiencies of your equipment, things like that to be able to scale up a small homebrew recipe into a 465 gallon commercial batch sure. of beer. So you have four now, you have the red stick rye, which is an ale? That's right. We have uh, all of our beers are ales. Okay. Um, we have Red Stick Rye. Uh, we have Pompous Pelican, uh, and we have Swamp Sting. And uh, the the current seasonal that we have, which we're just kind of ending the end of it, is is uh, is Cito, which is a coffee oatmeal stout. Oh, interesting. Yep. And so and so all of our beers we we feature local and southern ingredients in our beers. Um, Red Stick Rye uses a uh, a rye malt. Uh, that's an heirloom rye that's been grown in the South for about 200 years. They malt it for us in the Carolinas. Uh, Pompous Pelican uses raw cane sugar from M.A. Patu and Sons, which is just south of Lafayette, actually one of the largest privately owned sugar cane factories in the United States. And then, uh, and we actually use Southern Cascade hops on that, on that beer as well, which, which uh, Mansworth has right here at, at, the, at the restaurant. Um, and, then, uh, and then Swamp Sting is a light honey ale that we brew with local honey that we get right here in Baton Rouge. Fantastic. Now, how are you all distributing this stuff? Um, so in Louisiana, we have uh, the three-tier system, uh, which requires that all uh, alcohol manufacturers uh, have a distributor to, uh, to distribute the beers, or, or at least it's, that's the case for, for beer. I think that's a vestige from like a long time ago, right? right. To keep hold. <laughs> that's right, right. Maybe we should do away with that law, but that's another story, right? For <laughs> another right. day? That's right. So, uh, but yeah, so Mockler's our distributor here in, in the Baton Rouge market, um, and, and they help get our beers out there to all the different uh, bars and restaurants. For now, we're keg only. Uh, we don't have a packaged product, so at the moment, we're uh, just in bars and restaurants, uh, but do have plans for cans, hopefully this summer. Oh, this summer? Yep. Interesting. So y'all are actively working on that. That's right. That will be coming soon. That's right. Well, both of you, Ricky, Joseph, tell me, I mean, how expensive is it to start up these kind of businesses? And have you all had to invest a lot of your hard-earned savings in them? Or? Joe and I definitely have different approaches to it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, right now, our investment is just my wife and I. And it's we're a much smaller operation than Joe as well. I mean, our equipment is 52-gallon, mm-hmm. so our batches are very small. Our space is about the third of Southern Craft. We got about a thousand square feet. So right now it's just all our investment for the equipment okay. and us doing the production. That's right, yeah. And we took a little bit of a, of a different approach. Uh, we have about uh, 3,000 square feet. Now, now granted, uh, that's even still small considering when you look at some of the other breweries that are out there. Um, but, uh, but we do have an, uh, an investment group that, that partnered with us to, to put all this together. Uh, to acquire the equipment um, and, the, and the capital necessary to do what we're doing. So uh, our brewery right now has has the capacity of doing 750 barrels a year. And um, as we grow and expand, we have the capability of expanding up to about five or 6,000 barrels a year. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. We're talking to Joseph Piku of Southern Craft Brewing and Ricky Hull of Baton Rouge Distilling. Ricky, what about the, the willingness of investors? I mean, I guess, Ricky, in your case, you haven't really tested those waters yet. I've, I've been approached by people wanting to invest, but until well, I have... that's good. It's good. Right? Good problem. Until I have solid products in production, I'm not willing to accept investments. Sure. It's kind of my model today. But people are open to this and interested. They are. They are. I, I think. I think definitely today more than a few years ago. You know, this 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 plan that I've been working on has actually kind of been in the works for for a little while now. 
uh, probably since about, I think, 2008 was when the thought first crossed my mind. But, uh, and, and it has been a little bit of a challenge over the years, putting, piecing it together, piecing the financing together and getting investors to come in. Um, but as the market grows and as the, as the industry grows here in Louisiana, uh, I believe just in the last year or two, I think we've added uh, 10 to 15 new breweries here in Louisiana. So, uh, so the growth rate 10 is 10 to is 15 in Louisiana in the last year. I think so. I think that that's is, correct. yeah, that sounds right, but that's quite a lot. That's right. And, and I'm going to assume that most of them are in South Louisiana in the New Orleans, Baton Rouge, Lafayette area? That, that's a good assumption. I, I, think, I think most of them that I've seen have been popping up in, in New Orleans area, uh, but definitely throughout uh, different parts of, the United, of uh, Louisiana as well. Mm-hmm. It's the same story on the distilleries. They're mostly yep. in Southern Louisiana, New Orleans, some in Lake Charles, some in Lake uh, Lafayette. Now two in Baton Rouge. But now two in Baton Rouge, Caneland <coughs> Rum, right? Correct. They're producing rum, and of course we have Tin Roof. That's right. Here, and yep. I don't know if we have we have others as well, but uh, Tin I've Roof heard is, of, is well I think I've heard well of two others. Yeah, I think I've heard of two others that are that are in the planning stage at the moment. So, so. is there a mar- I mean, at what point does the market get tapped out, or the f- the fa- the fad goes away, or, or do you all feel like there's a, a lot of potential for more growth here? From a beer standpoint, I think there's a lot of potential. I think uh, I think the Southeast United States is probably one of the last untapped markets, you know, for in the United States. I mean, you've seen craft beer uh, boom, you know, everywhere else in, in in the United States except for the Southeast. And so, so not only do you see new breweries popping up in Louisiana, you also see out-of-state breweries that haven't traditionally been down here now entering into mm-hmm. our market as well. So, uh, so. You know, the, there's there's a lot of room. There's a lot of potential. Yeah, and I definitely agree with that. I mean, we talked about it on the ride up here. It's there's definitely a untapped market segment for this in southern Louisiana, and especially if you go to places like Boston or even like Portland. You know, there's a lot more craft breweries, craft distilleries, yeah. and we just don't have that in Louisiana quite yet. Yeah, one of the one of the statistics that they that the Brewers Association uh, ranks is breweries per capita, and so. Uh, and so Louis, I think Louisiana and Mississippi uh, rank like 49th and 50th oh, you're <laughs> in the states in terms of uh, numbers of breweries uh, wow. per capita. You know, so uh, so that, I mean, that right there kind of shows you the potential. Right. And that's so funny because certainly we're a state that enjoys its, its cocktails very much, huh? Yeah, so you just unlocked the basis for my business plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I'm going to take a little break from business to ask you each a quick question that might give us a little more insight into your personality. So if you could sit down over a nice cold, but not too cold, glass of beer or brandy with President Trump, what might you want to ask him about or talk to him about? <laughs> Federal regulations on uh, on us, for sure. There you go. It's uh, very interesting. I don't know quite on the brewing side of it, but in the distilling side, the paperwork required and the taxation is sometimes cumbersome. And, and you hear that from a lot of small businesses, but is that unique to distilling? Is it worse for distilleries? Well, I think, you know, in the distilling and probably in the brewing, we have a lot of laws that are post-prohibition back when, you know, uh, gang activity, organized crime was running this. Mm-hmm. And from reading the laws, you can see there's a lot of that built into the laws. Right. It's trying to make sure that convicted felons don't own part of the uh, the business and, and things like that. I mean, not that I have that risk, but <laughs> but the, the paperwork is is definitely cumbersome for for what we're doing. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And and so uh, I think I think nowadays it's just a different time than it was back then. Uh, and and you could probably look at maybe 
uh, revising some of those uh, regulations. And if you compare the United States, uh, you know, alcohol regulation to some of the other countries, uh, it's you you'll definitely see the contrast. <laughs> no so, question. Uh, yeah, and so and and so if if you c if another country can have uh, a little bit more open regulation and be successful and not have the issues, you know, why can't we? I think we, that there's we still some have that, that puritanical streak yeah. and that idea about alcohol, you know, the demon rum kind of thing. Well, one example is we met an owner of a distillery in Paris when we were visiting family over there, and. Uh, I gave him a bottle of our brandy, and he's looking at the label, and he's laughing at it. He says, you Americans require just too much stuff on this label. <laughs> and he showed me, he gave me a bottle of uh, his rum that he produced, and it just had the name, alcohol content, the fill, and that was kind of it. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, look great. at all the warnings and things we've got to put on it. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. Could you sell your brandy overseas? Yes, we can export. Interesting. Any but market for that, you think? Or have you explored I, that yet? We, we've talked to a few people preliminarily about that, but it's uh, economies of scale right now. They want pallets and pallets of the stuff sure. to be able to sell it over there, and we just don't have that production capability right now. Mm -hmm. I was just kind of open to send them a few boxes via UPS and try to sell it, but they, they're they not, won't do that. They're not interested in that small of a quantity. Right. What about on the beer side? Um, Yours is tough because it's got to keep, too. Yeah, I mean that's that's the main thing is just uh, is is just making sure that uh, you know that it keeps you know that you have the the right shelf life and everything for it. Mm -hmm. So, but as far as the regulations go, in terms of uh, labeling and stuff, it's it's the same. It's very similar. Who is who is your target market? Our target market, I guess, is has has kind of kind of expanded. I mean, seeing the growth of craft beer. Um, I, I want to say maybe just you know five five years ago or more at least here in, in, in Louisiana, the target market was probably um, you know mid 30s to you know to mid 40s, uh, uh, mostly males uh, that were drinking the beer, uh, mm -hmm. a little bit more of you know affluent type demographic. Uh, but now it seems to be that as craft beer gets more popular. Um, that demographic just keeps widening and widening. So, and, and we've noticed that on our fan base and social media and just the people we meet. It's, it's all age groups, all income levels, it seems like. People want, they want to try the better stuff. You know, just like I think Joe and I talked about years ago. It's like, you know, I used to drink Bud Light. And then when I started trying craft beers, I was like, wow, this is <laughs> really different. And I just didn't know. And I think people are realizing that there's better ingredients, better products out there. Yeah. And they're appreciating that. And then it's true in I think all age groups now that's true I mean you, you know you see uh, some of the you know some of the university students and stuff at LSU that that are typically getting by with some of the the lower cost beers and stuff now you know they're they're, they're gravitating more towards the more expensive craft beers and that was one thing I wanted to ask you was how you change how do you change tastes and educate you know a population that like wants a Bud Light or, I know, mean, to me, it's just as simple as, you know, when we do tastings and people try it, and they're like, wow, I mean, I didn't know this existed. I mean, like like I said, I mean, when I tried craft beer for the first time, it's like, wow, I've been drinking garbage beer for all these <laughs> years, and I just didn't know any better. And, I mean, that's that's my personal experience. That's right. I was just ignorant to it. Yeah, I think it's already there in everybody. It's just about drawing it out. So, I mean, I think naturally everybody wants a better product. Everybody wants uh, something that's a little different. Yeah. Everybody wants variety. 
and, and that's what and that's one of the biggest thing about craft beer is is that it is like variety and I think you know the, the the craft beer aisle at the grocery store is starting to look like the wine aisle now you know where no you kidding. have all these different varieties to choose from and, and and that's the big thing is that most most of the buyers out there most of the consumers out there they're probably not purchasing the same thing twice they're buying one thing this week and then they're going to come back and get something different next week and that's what it's about so so it's making sure not only that you're providing a a, a, a high quality product but also providing some variety for the consumers are y'all on tap for instance like at the bulldog or the pelican house or the one downtown that has all the different craft beers yep we yeah if it's a craft beer bar you know y'all are there. you're gonna find southern craft there yeah and is and it hard to get to get in i mean do you have to really knock on the doors or they're happy just to try out a local and no, it is. It's, it's it's a little bit difficult. It's definitely more difficult today than it than it probably was several years ago. You know, when when craft beer was still kind of a new thing. But like I mentioned earlier, with with the uh, with the rise of you know ten to fifteen new breweries just here in Louisiana, and and then also you got your out of state breweries that are coming in as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as soon as you walk out that door, uh, from a sales standpoint, you've got somebody else walking right back in trying to get that that tap marker. Sure. And and there's only so much real estate in terms of <laughs> there's tap only markers. Only so many tap markers right. out there. That's right. But you were able to get on here at Mansour's, as you mentioned. That's right, yep. Uh, Mansour's has Pompous Pelican over here. Oh, Pompous Pelican. And that is a, that's a, a lighter ale than the Red Stick Rye, or darker? Um, well, in terms of color, uh, it's, it's, it's lighter. But in terms of uh, body, it's probably a light to medium body beer. But it's a double IPA, which is it's one of our bigger, bolder beers, hence the name Pompous Pelican. Uh, it's a double IPA. It's, uh, it's got uh, higher alcohol content. Um, and it's got a lot of hops in it, so so you get a lot of the uh, the uh, some of the hop bitterness, uh, and then a lot of the hop flavors, some citrus flavors, and things like that on it. Ricky, where are y'all besides Whole Foods? Have you've been able to get into restaurants. We really haven't pushed for that yet. We haven't called in any, mostly because uh, such a low production volume. I didn't want to risk running out. Mm-hmm. And. You know, and I'm kind of at Henry's mercy on producing strawberry wine for that one product. So I'm trying to keep it real limited sure. there. So we're not really in, aside from Oliver Twist, that's it. Okay. And in the stores, we're in, like, you know, the, the kind of craft grocery store, like Whole Foods. We will be in soon. Uh, a couple of the Rouses here locally. Oh, Calandro's, okay. uh, Ben Q out there on Perkins mm-hmm. called Paul Cats. That's what I remember it as. Um, just a few of those specialty liquor stores like that we're in. Now, these are successful budding companies here, but they're not full-time ventures yet. You all both still have a day job, is that right? Both work full-time. That's right. That's right. How do you do it? Uh, it's, 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 it's tough. <laughs> it's tough, but that's what weekends and nights are for. <laughs> so you just run back and forth? I mean, between the job I, I as an engineer, and then you run to the distillery, you run to the brewery? I was at the distillery this morning checking on something, so it's you know just whenever we can fit it in. And try to make it happen, but that's right. Yeah, like we're one of my favorite phrases. I said if it was easy, everyone would do it. So, does your right. boss know what you got going on the side? Yeah, they know. Yes. <laughs> okay, and they're cool with yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Well, as long as they, as long as you don't let it interfere with our day job. So, but yeah, we're we're off tomorrow. So you know, I'll be in the brewery brewing tomorrow. Excellent, so. excellent. Now, do you all? Is there any way that you all could collaborate or um, any plans? We're actually working on that right now. That's right. Interesting. That's okay, right. what kind of collaboration could y'all come up with? He, well, so so Ricky's working on a rye whiskey, and so uh, so we thought it would be a, a, a nice uh, a nice take to uh, take the recipe that we have for red stick rye mm-hmm. and uh, and and use that in a base for for his rye whiskey. 
Wow. So, uh, so we're looking at the red stick rye again that uses the the uh, Carolina rye from uh, from the Carolinas. You know, mm -hmm. a good southern rye uh, as the base. Uh, Ricky, maybe you can tell a little bit more about the actually. Yeah. Uh, so the what we're what we're talking about is, you know, I have a lot less equipment than Joe, so this will allow me to help use some of his equipment to produce the rye base. And the fact that it's based on the red stick rye, I'm pretty excited about that. So. And Joe being off Airline Highway and I'm on Industrial Plex, we're just a couple miles apart. So I could load it up, tow it back to the distillery, ferment it, and then uh, distill it into a rye whiskey. Excellent. And then we're going to barrel age it in some smaller size barrels that will age a little faster than, you know, traditional 58-gallon barrels, I think they are. And then I'd like to turn those over to Joe, and you can probably make an... Uh, aged stout out of that which i think well, would be really good yeah we'll do an aged stout but we're probably also going to do um age the red stick rye in the in the in those rye barrels really? too so yeah so it's an interesting you know barrel share type thing yeah. um where uh ricky's going to have his uh his rye whiskey uh aged in those barrels and then and then once he's done we'll, we'll use them to age our red stick rye and have a barrel aged version of our red stick rye fantastic and how far how how far along are you in these talks and plans I think we're fairly close to execution. We're, we're, we're talking about the, uh, you know, the, the way I need it to be able to ferment it. That's kind of where we're at right now, just working out the last of the technical specs and then getting on Joe's busy production calendar. That's right. That's right. That's the biggest thing right now. I think we've got all the science worked out. We've got the recipe worked out, what we need to do. Uh, we just got to find a time in the calendar to do it. Sure. So. What's the long-term plan? Is it uh, to quit your day jobs and do this full-time? Do you ultimately hope to sell this to some big national company or well, I mean people ask me that a lot and it's like the goal is definitely for me not to sell it okay. I, I would like to run it I would like to transition from my day job to doing this full-time and just enjoy it but I think there's a price tag on anything <laughs> you know if they gave through enough money at me maybe <laughs> but that's not my end goal my end goal is to have fun doing it produce a quality product and and just you know slowly expand and Hoping to you know work with Joe a lot more on it too because I think we both got similar visions. That's what right. What about you, Joe? Yeah, I'm the same same as Ricky. We're planning on holding on to this. I, I don't have any in, intentions to sell it, but like Ricky said, I mean everything's got a price tag. But but I, I don't I don't see that happening. So our our, our objective here, our, our number one objective here is to is to keep it, um, you know, and keep it as a privately owned uh, business. Well, Joseph Piku and Ricky Hull, I know y'all have both taken a big risk after those hard-earned engineering degrees, but it's encouraging to see people pursuing their passions while adding to the cultural landscape of the community. So thanks for putting yourself out there, and thanks for being here on Out to yeah. Lunch. Thank, Thank you for having us, Stephanie. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Ricky Hull of Baton Rouge Distilling and Joseph Piku of Southern Craft Brewing. You can find out more about Baton Rouge Distilling and Southern Craft Brewing by following the links on our website. It's batonrouge.la and wrkf.org. Today's show is recorded live over lunch at Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily from 11 to 2 for dinner nightly and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti. And our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. You can see photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Facebook page. These photos are taken by Ken Stewart. All the music on Out to Lunch is composed and performed by Mitchell Foreman. You can find more of Mitchell's music wherever great jazz is streamed or sold and at mitchellforeman.com. 
You can get this show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. And you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites. It's batonrouge.la and wrkf.org. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for its batonrouge.la and wrkf 89.3 FM. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Mansur's for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com And by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank. Banking with greater momentum. At B1Bank.com.